If you have your Bibles, Judges 6. What's crazy is uh, I, it's a joy to bring the word to you guys today. But actually, I've been trying to get on this worship team for about six years now. And this is what I get. But let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we are able to gather and receive from your word. Father, I pray that these words transform our hearts, Lord, that whatever burdens and and issues that we have walked in here today, Lord, that your Holy Spirit power transforms them and breaks those off of us so that way we, we may leave a changed people. Do what only you can, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as Brad said, my name is Shadrach. I'm the youth pastor here, and I have the joy of bringing the word to you today. All right. So if you like what you hear, praise God. If you don't like what you hear, Brad, let me up here. Okay. All right. So, um, I am the proud child of immigrants. My parents came to America in the early nineties from the Island nation of Haiti. They came to South Florida and, uh, growing up in South Florida was awesome. It was warm all the time. All right. So we had 85 degree Christmas days And unlike half of the congregation that's from Ohio, I never had to deal with snow, okay? So it was a beautiful thing. And my parents came to America because they wanted to build a better foundation for their children, right? They came here, and then about a year after they came, my sister was born. Two years later, I was born. And they came here and faced many challenges, right? They had to find work. They had to adapt to a whole new culture. Um, But one of the biggest challenges that many immigrants face is the language barrier, right? So my parents speak Creole. That's their first language. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was preaching to the youth, and I spoke Creole during a sermon. And they were like, and I'm like, yeah, I have multiple languages, right? And so I'm smarter than you. But <laughs> I am. Um, but they had to learn English. And one of the ways that you learn English as an immigrant is music, uh, conversations with other people. But one of the primary ways you learn is with television. And so my parents, we had one TV and back in the olden days, like you only watch TV as a family. I don't know why, but we would watch TV and there were certain shows that my parents loved and were hooked onto. And some of these, all of these shows had the same theme about like restoration. There were those house transformation shows, right? So like Ty Pennington's Extreme Home Makeover Edition, um, all that kind of stuff. But one show that my parents, anytime it was on, immediately flocked to the TV was the show Hoarders. Y'all remember Hoarders? Yeah, crazy. But my parents loved this show because my parents were exceptionally clean people, all right? I mean, my Saturday mornings, this y- y'all probably see these jokes on the internet, but this was my reality. My Saturday mornings began with Kirk Franklin or some Haitian gospel song blaring. My mom, get up. My mom is like five foot nothing, right? She's like, get up. Come on, clean your room. You blah, 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 in a different language. So it's that much more aggressive. And so, but my, my parents were really, really clean people. And they would watch this show and they would see what not to do. But they also loved the idea that this show found people who were walking in what I would like to call functional dysfunction, right? Walking in and living in a mess. And they would come in and they would pinpoint out the problem. Say you're living, this is not right that you have, you know, animals living in your house that are not a cat or a dog, right? And so they would come in and restore the, the person back to what they were supposed to be. Last week, we, we, we learned that Israel 
had began a season of spiritual regression, right? They had lived in that cycle of walking with the Lord, forgetting the Lord, falling to false idols, calling out for a deliverer. Like Gideon, uh, or like last week, there was a spirit of functional dysfunction ever present in the lives of the people of Israel. They were caught up in a stronghold for so long that the filth, quote unquote, that they were in became normal to them. And this week, we're going to see God call a man out from that people to deliver them. Judges 6, 11 through 24 says this. The angel of the Lord came and he sat under the oak tree that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiazarite. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, valiant warrior. Gideon said to him, Please, Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? They said, Hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I am sending you. He said to him, please, Lord. That's crazy how he's talking. He said, please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the youngest in my father's family. But I will be with you, the Lord said to him. You will strike Midian down as if it were one man. Then he said to him, if I have found favor with you, give me a sign that you are speaking with me. Please do not leave this place until I return to you. Let me bring my gift and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. So Gideon went and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread for from half a bushel of flour. He placed the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat with the unleavened bread, put it on this stone, and pour the broth on it. So he did that. The angel of the Lord extended the tip of of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and unleavened bread. Fire came up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Verse 22. When Gideon realized that that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Oh no, Lord God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace to you. Do not be afraid. You will not die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it the Lord is peace. It is still an Ophrah of the Abiezrites today. So intro, okay? Israel wilding out. The Lord sees this and promises them a deliverer. We, we zoom in on this encounter with Gideon, and I love how the text gives you an idea of where his mind and his heart already was. It says Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press. That's crazy if you understand wheat threshing back in biblical times. Wheat threshing, you would need to go outside in the openness of the air, toss up the wheat, allow the wind to pass through, and it would separate the wheat from the tares, and then you collect and then go uh, make your bread or whatever you were doing. But Gideon was operating in a spiritual stronghold. He was operating in a, a sense of functional dysfunction, and he was doing something that needed to be done out in the open in the crevice, in the deepness of a wine press. 
Last week, verse uh, two said that, you know, Israel was hiding in caves and strongholds and uh, in secret places to hide from the Midianites. This week, we see that their heart, their spiritual heart is in the same exact place, right? They're hiding away. But God comes on the scene or the, the messenger of the Lord comes on the scene and says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. That's crazy because he doesn't look like a mighty man of valor, right? He's doing something that is fearful and he's operating in a stronghold. But let me, this is the whole sermon. If God didn't meet you and me when we were in our strongholds, we'd still be threshing wheat in the wine press, right? Y'all can, y'all can talk back. All right. <laughs> but that's, that's where Gideon is at. We begin this, this narrative Bible, uh, Bible scholars call a calling narrative, right? God approaches and he calling them out. And so Gideon is met by this messenger of the Lord who finds him threshing wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. This is the man. This is the person that God's going to use. What's wrong with this picture is that Gideon was operating in a stronghold and his heart was far from God in the moment. So we have to take a moment to define what a stronghold actually is, because when you hear the word, it kind of sounds confusing. You're saying a stronghold, but yet it's causing you to operate not strong, right? But Dr. Eric Mason defines a stronghold this way. He says a stronghold, a spiritual stronghold is a mindset, a value system, or a thought process that hinders your growth in Christ, a mindset a thought process or a value system that hinders your growth in Christ. Gideon's value system was that what I'm doing, right? Because I'm so afraid of the Midianites, I need to go do it in the wrong place and I'm gonna make it actually harder for me. His thought process was instead of doing something in the air and making it easier for me, I'm going to make it more difficult and operate incorrectly, right? live my life incorrectly and try to get something out of it. When in reality, he's probably not getting that much wheat out of what he's doing. His value system was, I value so much not being caught by the Midianites that I'm going to live and operate in dysfunction in this wine press. Strongholds have a way of making us walk so far in the opposite direction of God for so long, sin becomes nothing to us. Right? Dysfunction becomes normal to us because we, we so forgotten the voice of the Lord and what it means to be in his presence and what it means to be a, a person after his own heart that like the show hoarders, you walk in and it makes sense to you to have, uh, forgive me, right? Animal, fecal matter everywhere. It makes sense to you to have to climb through 18 bushels of boxes of news, old newspapers to get to your sink, right? That's what spiritual dysfunction does to you. And so this is where God finds Gideon. His ability to hear from God and understand the ways of God has grown weak. And it's at this point, when we operate this way for so long, we're all, here's the thing. We're always looking for something to fill that hole in our heart. You're always looking for that. And so when you're operating in spiritual dysfunction, you will find and give yourself over to any false idol, any false mindset, any false disposition, anything, because that you need it. And so Gideon had done that. Yet God calls Gideon. He meets with him while he's operating in the spiritual stronghold and calls him a valiant, war, uh, valiant warrior. Other, other translations say, oh, mighty man of valor. Just to give you some context, okay? Uh, I love 
uh, this video game. I like video games still. I know. But I love uh, the video game Call of Duty, right? It's a military-based shooter. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now. Me, I'm not like those amazing soldiers and Navy SEALs and all those. Those are mighty men of valor, okay? I just play the video game that simulates what they're actually doing in real life, all right? But that's what a mighty man of valor is. Think of King David's special ops. It's like David would just be chilling. This is how I like to, you know, interpret the Bible. But David would just be chilling. He's like, Dave, we, we got a big battle coming up. He's like, all right, send the mighty men. Mighty men walk in, chop down 200, 300, 400 people, one guy. One guy just goes in and just decimates. And David's like, yeah, that's my, that's my boy. That's my squad, right? That's what the angel of the Lord calls Gideon. Why, though? Because from our viewpoint, this seems like a glaring contradiction. A mighty man of valor doesn't hide in the wine press to thresh wheat. A mighty man of valor would have threshed wheat out in the open and said to the Midianites, I'm here. Who wants smoke? I'm, I'm right here. Pull up, right? That's what the young people say nowadays when it's like, you want to. Listen, youth ministry, I'm translating it to you guys, right? <laughs> but um, it's true. Right? Parents are like, what does Riz mean? What are these terms these kids coming up with every week? But, but that's what a mighty man of valor would have done. However, the location of Gideon's action, like I said, is a reflection of the people at the time. In our modern context, we often look at actions of those in the church and we say, why are you acting this way? Why are you doing this? But in reality, it's just a reflection of where their heart is or where their spiritual uh, mind is at, right? So when you see a people that love repentance, when you see a people that prioritize prayer, when you see a people that love serving others, that's a reflection of their heart, right? Gideon didn't have that at the moment. But the beauty of this encounter is, can be seen in what the text is trying to show us is a parallel. And that parallel is Moses, And we remember Moses gave almost the same, I don't talk well. It's okay. I got you. Uh, Who do I say sent me? Tell him I am sent you. Uh, My shoes are untied. He's like, dude, you already took your sandals off. It's holy ground. Like, don't even worry about it. Right? Like, he, he, he tries to find every excuse in the book, but yet he missed the point of what the messenger of the Lord was saying by calling him, O valiant warrior. What the point was is when God encounters you, he does not, he sees where you're at. Absolutely. But he sees what you will look like after his glory gets on you. Y'all don't hear me. He sees, he sees that I'm the initiator. I'm the one with the plan. I'm the one with the glory. I'm the one with the power. You're broken. You're fallen. You're hurt. Once you get to me, you will not look that way anymore. So I can call you a valiant warrior because I know that I'm the one who's going to put you through the training, who's going to put you through the, the, the conditioning to get you there. He says, oh, valiant warrior, the Lord is with you. Whoops, my notes. The wonderful thing about this encounter is that God, throughout this whole encounter, challenges every aspect of the stronghold Gideon had put up. He challenged every aspect of it that we, he elevated in his mind. Like I said earlier, we're always searching to someone to fill that hole. God is the only one who has the capacity, the worthiness, and the ability to occupy that place. He looks past where Gideon is and sees what Gideon will look like 
after he gets his hand on him. And the kicker is all of this is for the glory of God and Gideon's good. Because sometimes we, we stay there and we say, God's going to do something to me. He's going to transform me. And that's great. Hallelujah. Amen. But it's so that he gets the glory and that we get to be a part of his plan in the process. To us, it seems that God is the worst picker of all time when in reality, he's not. My wife, I love my wife. My wife loves thrift stores and Facebook marketplace and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, so whenever she wants something, she just goes on there and she looks for it. And let me tell y'all, it looks dusted, crusted, dilapidated, all that kind of stuff. Me, on the other hand, if I could buy something new, I'm going to buy it new. But every time I buy something new, fellas, you know where I'm going. I get the look. This is how they do. They got the mug in their hand. They're like, huh. Okay. Right? They're looking at you crazy because you're just, and you're like, no, but see, it has the, the thing. And then it's a 2024 model. And it does the thing with the thing. And she's like, hmm. Okay. Right? But she has this knack of going on to these uh, thrift stores and Facebook marketplace and finding things. And she's looking past where it's at because she's like, oh, that just needs some paint. That just needs to be sanded over here. And I'm telling you, every time she gets her hand on something and on the other side of it, I look at it and I was like, this looks as if it was in the, the, the store right now. Right. And I say, yes, this this table, this chest, this whatever, it looks great. But more than that, I look at her and I say, you have a gift. You are talented in doing this. My goodness, the the creativity that you had to see what this could actually look like. Great job, right? I give more glory to her seeing the the thing and the situation that it is past there to make it look new. The messenger of the Lord tells Gideon, the Lord is with you. Chill out. But Gideon responds like many of us actually would respond. Gideon said to him, please, Lord. You think there's no comedy in the Bible, but there actually is. Because this is crazy talk. This is not a, please, Lord. This is a, please, Lord. Come on now. Right? If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? They said, hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. If I was a messenger of the Lord, I would have said, well, you know, y'all were kind of wilding out, but I wouldn't say that, right? But <laughs> the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I am sending to you. I am sending you. And again, Gideon says, please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the youngest in my father's family. Functional dysfunction has a very good way of getting you to doubt God's faithfulness to you because you've so long, like I said, you've so long operated in a way, right? That's pulled you so far from God that when God steps into the picture, some of our initial reaction is really, really God, like I I can leave this stronghold. I don't think I can. Gideon's first response was doubt, right? He scoffs almost at the Lord and says, please, Lord, Gideon's response to the angel challenged both points the encounter was trying to make. One, that God would be faithful to deliver Israel. And two, that God could use him to fulfill the task. The angel of the Lord hears Gideon's excuses, but he ignores Gideon's excuses. Because here's here's the beautiful thing. God absolutely cares about your concerns. 
if they're legitimate. God is, he'll, if, you, if you come to God with some excuses, he's going to be like, that's not actually true. That might be a legitimate concern, and we can work through that, but this is an excuse that you're propping up so that I, you, you avoid me using you, right? Because Gideon says, I'm the weakest in all of Manasseh. Actually, Gideon, your daddy, uh, he's got that altar running. You got to have some bread to keep an altar running. Later in the, in the scriptures, we'll see that Gideon calls on the help of his servants. You got to have some money to pay those servants, right? So Gideon, you actually have more resources than you think, right? Go figure. <laughs> but we have to be very careful of limiting God to how we think he can use us. If God is the initiator, you not need worry about how it's going to get done. It's going to get done. Gideon laughs at the messenger of the Lord. He says, why then has all this happened? God hears his concerns, but once again, he shows the, the, he shows the difference between hearing a concern and hearing an excuse. And yet he tells Gideon, I am sending you. I will help you. I will do it. You are the tool that I'm using, but I am sending you. Too many times we, we look at our situations, we look at the life we're in, and we say, God, I've tried so many times. I've done everything. I've done all that I can do. Look at how you're starting the sentence. I've done it. I did it. I tried that. I whatever. When have we, what about going to God and say, God, only you can do this. I need your help. I need your strength. I need you to send me. I can't do it on my own. God's faithfulness, though, reassures Gideon through his doubt to trust in him. All the excuses become useless because of that phrase, the Lord is with you. Then say, Gideon, go try all the tactics that you can come up. And if you can't come up with something, come back to me. No, he says, the Lord is with you. Yahweh reassures Gideon on the basis of God's faithfulness. He does not reassure Gideon on the basis of Gideon's skill set or goodness. If you bank everything on your own skill set, you might get far. You might get one, two step, right? But if God is the initiator, he's the one doing the work. He, he banks it on himself. He doesn't bank it on you. And God does not fail. We learned that in Sunday school. The patience and kindness of the Lord here shouldn't go unnoticed because this is our, this is similar to how we act today. Gideon references that God delivered them from Egypt and he says, where are the stories that our fathers told us about? Like Gideon, were you paying attention to the stories that your father told you about? Because the same God that delivered Israel out of Egypt is the same God that is sending you to help deliver your people from the hand of the Midianites. You know he was faithful then. Y'all don't get it. You know he was faithful then. He's going to be faithful now. That's the beauty of this. But Gideon, once again, asked for confirmation, right? He says, if I have found favor with you, give me a sign that you are speaking with me. Don't leave this place. And then he puts the bread and he puts the, the sacrifice and the messenger of the Lord touches it and the fire consumes this. Excuse me. David Block quotes this and he says, reflecting Gideon's growing self-confidence on his own initiative, he dares to put the messenger and God to the test by demanding a sign. His demand was driven by two concerns. First, to confirm Yahweh's favor was on him, right? Going back to, could God even use me? And second, to confirm if God will go with him, 
Is he actually going to be with me every step of the way? But God reassures him that, no, he will be with you. We are reminded that God's faithfulness in our life is a beautiful thing. And like I, 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 I'm saying it over and over again because I can't stress it enough. God is faithful to deliver his people. God is faithful to do what he said he's going to do, regardless of whatever excuse we come up with, because he's putting it on himself. He's banking it on his own faithfulness and power and worth. Verse 23. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, Gideon, later in this encounter, finally realizes that, oh, no, this guy seems legit. This guy's pretty, okay, wait a second. He remembers Exodus Uh, No man shall see God and live. So fear now consumes him again. And yet the messenger of the Lord once again reassures Gideon's dysfunction, right? He's he's pulling him back and he says, peace to you. He gives him three um, reassurances. Peace to you. Do not be afraid and you will not die. So then Gideon, in response to this, built an altar to the Lord there and called it the Lord is peace or Yahweh Shalom. It is still an Ophrah today. There comes a point where the show example is beautiful. You recognize the mess that you're in. Someone who is greater than you comes in to offer you the help. Then there is a level of you have to destroy the stronghold. You have to put an end to the stronghold. Gideon finally realizes who he's speaking to. And he was convinced that death was his only outcome. But God reassures him, right? God is so patient with us when we're in our strongholds. He's so patient with us because he's so faithful to us, despite us. This serves as the final stamp of approval on the call of Gideon. He can finally get on with the plans that God has for him. Gideon understood the moment that he was in. And his response was to build an altar. And later on, we're going to see it's more than just believing. It's also putting away. So there's some altars that we got to tear down. Gideon, or sorry, God promised Gideon access to his power. And because of, or because he was now in his presence, because of this encounter, Gideon's response was to tear down the stronghold and build an altar to God. His confidence had to be put in God and nowhere else. Gideon had a role for sure, but everything was dependent on God being faithful to accomplish his goal in in delivering Egypt. Of course, we're not championing uh, name it and claim it theology of like, God's going to be faithful to bring me a new whatever. No, because that's banked on your desire, your selfish desires. But if we remember that God is faithful to us to accomplish his goals and his purposes in the earth, then we, and we get to play a part in that, we can rejoice. Our role, like Gideon's, was to humbly submit to that fact and faithfully trust him in the process. So despite the pain we will walk through in life, it's not a if you walk through pain, you will walk through pain. God is still faithful to redeem that. Despite sickness, which many of us are facing or might face, God is faithful to heal you, whether on this side or the next, right? Whatever it is, success, loss, poverty, depression, whatever it may be, God reminds his people he is faithful to them on the basis of his own goodness and his own love. Our role is to walk along, alongside with that. 
Oftentimes the world looks at Christians and they laugh at us because they say, you're banking all of your confidence in the faithfulness of someone you can't see. That's crazy because I know that my confidence left heaven, came down to earth, my confidence put on flesh, my confidence lived a perfect and blameless life, my confidence was beat, spat on, stripped naked, stabbed, and whipped, my confidence carried across up a hill by people he created, my confidence was hung high and stretched wide, and then my confidence died. And then my confidence said, all right, let me chill for three days and I'll be back. All right. And then my confidence rolled the stone away, walked out and said, I'm here because my confidence is Jesus. And I've seen him and I know him. So to the world that laughs at us, laughs at me and scoffs and says, you're putting your confidence in, in God being faithful to you and you can't see him. Sorry, buddy. I have. This is the realization moment. Like I said, my favorite part of the TV show, the, the house transformation shows, was the realization moment, right? They, they realize, and the producers conveniently always put it like after the last commercial break, so you had to wait till the very end of the show to watch it. You couldn't just, and back then, see, the Netflix generation, we didn't have that, okay? You had to wait. <laughs> but, and I'm not even that old. I don't know why I talk like that, but <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But my favorite aspect of these shows was the realization moment. Once that happened, then the work of transformation could actually begin. Because if all those shows ever did was go into neighborhoods and tell people they had a problem and tell people they needed a new home and didn't tell the people why they need a new home and didn't tell the people how to live in the new home that they had so that they didn't go back to what their house looked like, those shows would be pointless. In the same way, our lives... This is the personal application. Our lives should reflect this, right? Confession of sin is a beautiful thing if it's undergirded by repentance. If we realize our need to be close to God and to leave behind the strongholds that we're operating in, the value system, the mindset, whatever it is, leaving that behind and walking with the Lord is that realization moment for us. An encounter allowed this to happen. And so my question to you today, is is there an encounter that you need to have with God? Is there a moment you need to spend with God underneath an oak tree? Are you threshing wheat in a wine press of sin, darkness, whatever it is, addiction, cycles, whatever? Is that the case? If it is, Through the Holy Spirit's power, God is calling us today to tear down the stronghold in our heart, in our mind. The lies that we believed, that we functionally walked in for so long, that have led us so far away from the voice of the Lord. The introduction of Gideon shows us a few things that we can be encouraged by today. Firstly, that God is patient with us, even in our mess. Secondly, God is the one who's doing the work. God is the one who's sending, who's equipping. He is the one who gives us the power. And if God, and thirdly, if God is the initiator, we can rest in that confidence. We can rest in his faithfulness. And lastly, 
God's faithfulness to us is so that we would repent and turn away from strongholds that we've been operating in. Because if you just rest in the fact that God loves me, that God is good to me, that God is kind to me, and that doesn't lead you to live a life, not a perfect life, but to live a life that seeks to spend time with him, that seeks to know his voice, that seeks to live a holy life, you're missing the point. His faithfulness is a transformative faithfulness, not a complacent one. That's good. You should write that down. So how do we apply this to our lives today? We know that God's faithfulness leads us to repentance. He is faithful to us, not that we would stay in the same cycle of sin. Romans 6, right? Do we sin that grace may abound? Absolutely not. But that we would return to him. God is calling us. He's calling me to put an end to our spiritual dysfunction through the power of the Holy Spirit. Today, God might be calling someone here. Statistically, this is the truth. God might be calling someone here to come and end that cycle of dysfunction that you've been operating in so long, right? And here's the beauty. You can't out the cross of Christ. You can't think you walk so far away from God that you're too dirty, you're too unclean to be in his presence. In a moment, you realize your need and you repent and you call and you come down or you, you, wherever you're at, you can experience new life. God is faithful to, dis- to deliver his people. And we see this cycle in Judges over and over and over again. And over and over and over again, he delivers, he heals, he, he strengthens, right? And ultimately, we see God send a deliverer who can fully deliver his people in Jesus Christ. So if that's you today, if that's you today, I urge you. Right, I urge you to let go of whatever that stronghold is, is lying to you with. Let that go and come to Jesus and know him and know that he can deliver you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your, your beauty. I thank you for your faithfulness to us. I thank you for your kindness to us. Lord, that you would see us in our mess And send your son to die on a cross for us to heal us, Lord. God, I know that there's not, there's not something too hard for you to work with, for you to deal with, Lord, but you are in the business of redeeming your people. You are in the business of delivering your people. And so God, I prayed this morning that whatever it is, whatever stronghold we've been operating in for however long, Lord, that we have an encounter with you here today, right now. And we can trust that the faithfulness you have for us is to lead us to change, is to lead us to look different. Lord, I'm, I'm grateful for your faithfulness to us, to me. And so we just ask that you do a mighty work in the hearts and in the lives of everyone here and everyone in this low country. Lord, we love you. We're grateful for you. Great is your faithfulness, Lord. Great is your faithfulness. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.